Open up your Bibles to um, 1 John. Um, just a, a brief introduction. If you missed uh, last week, we're in week two of a series called Gospel Culture. Um, how the gospel doctrine shapes our life in community. We're doing like, six weeks on this, talking about how the things that we believe actually shape and change uh, our lives and how we live life together as a church. Um, every church believes doctrine. They'll say these things are true, but it doesn't always translate into how that church lives out life together with each other. The, the kind of softer feel of the church. What's it like to be a part of that church? What's it like to come on a Sunday? What is it, what is it like to be part of a midweek group? Um, do they actually live out the things that they believe? Uh, and you could put us, you could, you could translate all of that as, is we. Do we live out the things that we uh, believe? A lot of this I mentioned last week is based on some uh, helpful resources from uh, Sam Albury and Ray Ortland, and you can find those online if you wanted to read more about their books and their podcasts and stuff. But um, today I want us to look at the, um, the culture of gospel honesty. Last week we looked at the culture of grace and welcome. Are we a welcoming church do we welcome do we extend to others the welcome that jesus has extended to us um do we give side eyes to people who come into the church into our midst or do we have these an arms open a gracious welcome and response to to everyone in the same way that's been extended to us in jesus if you missed it by the way we you may not know this but we're now recording these things again and during the week, the video of the preachers is up online. Some people like the video. Who knows why? I'm on. Uh, and, but some people like just the audio. The podcasts are still there. But if you want to see the videos, those are also up there on the YouTube channel. You can find it on the webpage, I think. Dave? Where's Dave? Need Dave. Okay. Um, let's read 1 John 5. Then I'm going to pray and dig into this. 1 John. Sorry, 1 John 1. 1 John 1. That's where we are. If you don't have a Bible, I think these are going to be behind me. 1 John 1, we're going to read from verse 5 to verse 10. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say, we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say, we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Father, again, we ask uh, this morning that as we, as we look at your word, as we listen now, that you would, you would help us by, by the ministry and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to see uh, what we need to see and to hear um, your words 
um, to us. We come from we come from different weeks. Our hearts are all in different places. There's different things going on in our lives. There's different thoughts bouncing around in our heads and our hearts now. We pray for the grace of attention to the ministry of the Spirit amongst us. We pray that you would focus us and allow our hearts to be uh, receptive and uh, attuned to your voice speaking to us with clarity and with authority. We want to yield ourselves now to the authority of your word and we pray, living God, that you would speak to us. We, we long we long to leave this place knowing that we have heard your voice met with you and that we thank you that this is your joy to do this again amongst us this morning. We ask it in his name. Amen. If you're wondering who that is, that's our church dog. I can't remember our church dog's name. I feel Benson, the church dog. Very cute. Okay, Benson agrees with me every now and then as I preach, so don't worry about it. I like Benson. He's welcome here. Yeah? Um, what I want us to do is look at, at, at some of the truth we see in this passage first and then explore how that then plays out for us in our community. Uh, doctrine shapes culture. Doctrine shapes culture. You have to get clear on the doctrine that shapes the culture. If you just go for, we want to be a church that's like this, that's not grounded in any doctrinal truth. You just have a bunch of enthusiasm and like to-dos that aren't really anchored in God's word or in any truth. So let's have a look at some of the truth that John um, puts out to us at the start of this letter in 1 John. The first thing that we look at here and that we see is, is what God is like. What, what God is like. And John mentions a few things about what God is like and then a few things about we, what we're like. We'll start with what God is like. Very simply, he just says this. He is light. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. When you read the original languages, the different translations will tra- translate that differently. It's like a double imperative there. Uh, there's no darkness in him. They could have just said that, but he says there's no, no darkness in him at all. There is no darkness, none, nothing. He is light. He is just pure light and goodness. There is nothing evil. There's nothing sinister. There's nothing insufficient about God. God is all perfection of goodness, all the perfection of joy, the perfection of holiness is the perfection of love. The perfection of grace is the perfection of perfection. There's, there's nothing where God is needing to level up or mature or, or grow into himself. God is the perfection of the loveliest of everything. And our human minds can't really wrap themselves uh, fully around that. But John just starts with that. You'll see why. Uh, he uses this imagery, imagery of light and darkness as we keep going. But he just says, there's just light in God. There, there's, no, there's no darkness. And I mention this, and I'm, I'm dwelling on this a bit, because some people, as you've grown up, uh, life may have slapped you upside the head a little bit. Uh, life may be slapping you upside the head at the moment. You may be going through difficulty, and you wonder, is there just a tinge in God, a little bit of meanness? Just a little bit of nastiness, mostly light, mostly light. But if you cross him, if you cross him, he's coming for you. He'll sort you out. He'll give you one little swift backhand. 
They'll give you one Drickus. Still knocks. He'll sort you out because he's not to be trifled with. You behave or you're going to get it. If you behave, he's great. But if you don't, he'll sort you out. And the suffering. Sometimes we, we look at our lives and the suffering and difficulty and we wonder if this, somebody once told me this comes from God, that God is sovereign, that everything comes from his hand. So this came from his hand and this is very unpleasant. This is very difficult. So if it comes from him, maybe he's not all good. Maybe there's not all light. There's, God has some shadows. God has some skeletons in his closet. And because he's God, you can't really question him about it because he'll, he'll clap you. So you just keep quiet about it and just ignore it and just hope that you get more light than darkness. And, and, and that's what John says, God is light. And in him, there is absolutely no darkness. Any darkness that bumps itself up against your life does not come from God. God is the perfection of light and he is perfect goodness. What are we like? What are we like with this passage? If you have a pen and you like to scribble in your Bible, you'll see a threefold repetition of if we say, if we say, if we say, if we say. There's three things that we can say and then there's, res- there's results of those things. That if we say this, then this. If we say this, then this. If we say this, then this. And it's worth paying attention when the Bible um, arranges the text like that. It's, it's wanting you to stop and say, okay, well, it says if we say three times. Let me have a look at what are we saying? What are the three things? It says, if we say we have, we have fellowship, but we walk in darkness. What does that look like? It says, what's well, very simple. It says, hey, I, I come to you, John. And then John asks John, how's it going? He says, yeah, I, I'm walking with God. I, I am I'm walking uh, with him and following in his ways, except that John says, but you're walking in darkness. I don't know everything about John's life. And he says, yeah, I'm walking with the Lord, but actually behind closed doors, he's walking in darkness. Second one, it says, if we say we have no sin, come to you and say, Jay, tell me about your life. He says, yeah, there's no sin, all good. 100%. Anything you want to confess? No, nothing I can think about. A- anything? No, no, nothing. nothing nothing's, nothing's coming to mind. Really? It says, if we say we have no sin. Third one, it says, if we say we have not sinned. So some commentators will say this is a distinction here. Uh, between The third one is actually the second one I mentioned. This is if we say we have not sinned. We haven't committed sins. The second one is say we have no sin. It's like we have no sinful nature. We have no proclivity to sin. So I've come to you and say, uh, are, you, are you good? Absolutely, I'm good. Like, okay, hold on, man. Bible seems to disagree with you. It says there's no one good except God alone. So that is a viewpoint in the world. I mean, you may, not, you may not subscribe to it. You may. But I promise you many, many of the people that you know subscribe to the worldview that they are inherently good people. They are good people. Every now and then, they make a mistake. They lose their way. They overdo it. They have some weaknesses, whatever. Everyone has, all, all superheroes have their, you know, whatever, kryptonite kind of vibes. They put it in wheel language. But essentially, boiling it down, they're good people. At the core of who they are, they're good, and they, every now and then, they make a whoopsie. The Bible says that if that's your view of yourself, we're going to look at it now. It's just, no, no, no. But if that's what you say of yourself, essentially, I'm good. 
the Bible's argument is to say, essentially, you're not good. But more than at an essential nature, functionally, you say, we have not sinned. This week, I didn't commit any sins. I had a clean sheet this week. The Bible says, if you say that, then there's, there's, three, there's, there's, three or, there's four things that says, um, the implications of the if we say is, I'll read them to you. They're right there. You can, you, you can just basically follow along. On, this is basically basic comprehension that we're doing for now. What does it say if we say those three things? First thing is that we're lying and not practicing the truth. We're lying because if you say you have fellowship and you walk in darkness, obviously that's a lie. If you say, nope, there's no sin in me, no proclivity to sin, or I have not sinned, he says you're a liar and you know you don't practice the truth. Second thing is that we deceive ourselves. Not only are you just lying outwardly, you're lying to yourself. You're deceiving yourself and you're devoid of truth. Third thing is we call God a liar because his statement about us is different to those three statements. And the last thing is that we show that the word isn't in us. That's a lot. That is a lot. To be a liar, to call God a liar, to deceive ourselves, to be devoid of truth, and to not be walking in the truth and the light of the word. That's a lot. Nobody would want to be described as that. And so these, if we say things, getting clear on the, on, on, on the doctrine of gospel honesty is a really, really big deal. Now, let's, let's turn the corner because this passage is not just about negatives. It's largely about positives. Have a look with me at verse 7 and verse 9. It says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Those are some of the most astounding, life-giving, and freeing verses in the New Testament. What does it mean, or what does it look like to walk in the light? What does it look like to walk in the light? As we explore the concept of being a church that has gospel honesty as a culture, what does it mean to walk in the light? So the do- we'll get more into the doctrine of forgiveness and cleansing, and acceptance in God, that's tethered to this. But what does it mean to walk in the light? It means this, that you have no secrets and you have no secret shame and guilt. I know that some of you are sitting there listening to me and thinking, where is this going? This, this is crazy. The reason I come to church is because nobody asks me difficult questions. And it's a very welcoming and warm environment kind of thing. I don't want anyone poking around in my life. You know, Jesus has forgiven me and I've got this other stuff going on. But I know he loves me and like I'll, I'll work it out with him. That, that is not a culture of gospel honesty. And that is not the truth. A culture of gospel honesty and what it means to walk in the light is that there's no hiding. There's no pretending. There's no excusing. And there's no downplaying. Those are our default go-tos when it comes to the shadows of our lives. We either downplay them. Yeah, everyone's got their stuff. It's not such a big deal. 
This is just my thing. Not such a big deal. I'm not hurting anyone. No one knows about it. It's just over there. It's just in the darkness and in the shadow in the cupboard. We, or we excuse it. Oh man, there's this part of my life, yeah, it's not ideal kind of thing, but man, it's, it's a way of coping. It's, it's my out. It's my letting off steam. It's this whatever thing. It's perfectly justified. If I didn't do that, then I'd be a way more miserable person or whatever else. I, I, need, I need this thing. You excuse. We excuse our sin. Some people just pretend. You put your head in the sand around the truth of your own state of your own heart. It's just as if like you're not that person. Have you ever heard people justify that to say, it wasn't me. It was so out of character. It's like, no, that's you. If you said that or you did that, it was you. The alternative is that you're schizophrenic. It's not a good option. Or that you're possessed by something that's taken over. Also not a great outcome. You have to own the things that come into your head and come out of your mouth and the actions. That is, my friends, that's us. It's you. And the glorious owning of that is that there's hope for God to change you if you you abdicate blame and responsibility for the way that you speak, act, or think to something or someone else, there's no hope for you because God loves you and he's working on you. And so you've got to own that stuff as rubbish as it is. I almost said a terrible word there. As rubbish as it is. No hiding. Imagine. Yeah, I'm going to say this every week. Imagine a church. Imagine a church where people in that church knew exactly what you were like, what you struggled with, the sins that you committed, the things that you were deeply ashamed of. And they loved you. They prayed for you. They accepted you. They welcomed you in. Didn't keep you at arm's length until you got your stuff together. And they, they walked the road with you. And every time you fell over, they helped you get up again. And together together as a church community all staggered together towards Jesus longing to be more fully whole and more deeply loved imagine being a part of a church like that that is a church where there is a culture of gospel honesty where there's no pretending and faking it till you make it and hiding and lurking in the shadows because guys every one of us we all have our stuff I have my stuff, you have your stuff. We all have stuff that we hope and long to keep in the shadows. We would be mortified if people found out what was going on in our hearts or in our heads or what we did behind closed doors or, you know, whatever habit you're in or what sin you committed. The deep, I'm talking, these are heavy things for a Sunday morning, I understand. The things of the deepest secret shame, that's what I'm talking about. That is what Jesus went to the cross for. Not your respectable sins. Not losing your cool in the traffic. And you not confess, I confess I lost my temper in the traffic. Who doesn't? You live in Joburg. I mean, good grief. Like, good luck getting through a day without losing your cool in the, in the traffic. That's a respectable sin. I'm talking about the stuff that would mortify you if anyone found out. That's where stuff starts to get real. And our default as Christians is to duck and dive and to hide. There was a, a video on our neighborhood uh, WhatsApp group. That thing is an endless source of sermon illustrations and joy for me, our neighborhood WhatsApp group. I don't know if you 
live in a different neighborhood, but minor one is fire. And there was, uh, this is not funny, but there was a robbery the other day, uh, as there is, I think, on every neighborhood WhatsApp group. But they were showing the, the street cameras, consecutive street cameras of these guys who committed the, the robbery. Uh, there was at night, I don't know what time, middle of the night. And they're like, they're showing them how they're sneaking along the pavement. And so the one oak like runs from tree to tree. You know, like zing. he was thin enough to for a tree to conceal him. Not everyone has that uh, going for them. But he goes from tree to tree. The other oak is like leopard crawling through the plants. But every time a car came and shone lights on them, freeze. The dude would be behind the tree. The other oak's like in the daffodils there. Like, no, I'm not moving. I'm not moving. I'm a dog. Woof, woof. You know, like the car would go past. And then he would like leopard crawl again. And the other guy would go tree to tree all the way down. And when I saw that video, I thought of this. I thought of this. Because that's what many believers are like and how we come to God. Tree to tree. If God shines the light. Yeah. Three, there we are, knee deep in the daffodils, trying to hide from the God who sees everything. That's not what it means to walk in the light. It's not what it's like to walk in freedom. Walking in freedom means that at 2 a.m. in the morning, you're walking straight down the middle of the road. You can shine all the lights on you because you have nothing to hide. Not because you're perfect. Not because you're perfect, because another was perfect in your place. And he has borne the shame of your sin. And he has welcomed you with grace and acceptance. And he forgives again and again and again. And he has limitless grace for undeserving sinners. That's what it means to walk in the light it's a different way to live john says that another thing about us that we if we walk in the light we have fellowship with one another one of the most powerful things that breaks fellowship in a church is secret sin why because we're all pretending with each other no one's actually been real we're all hiding who we really are and every now and then we maybe let out a little bit of a little small carrot of confession there, angle it there, see if anyone, how people respond. But a culture of gospel honesty is, is massively conducive to fellowship because we have soaked our hearts and we continue to soak our hearts in the gospel and we are just real with each other. And it, it's, it's built on the doctrine that we realize none of us have, it, have our act together. And when I hear somebody else Sharing that, my point is to take them, my my priority is to take them to Jesus. Gospel honesty in a community brings about massive rejoicing and hope and togetherness and healing. Listen to these words from James 5 verse 16. The context of James James 5 verse 16 is the prayer for healing. Call the elders if you're sick and they'll anoint you with oil and pray for you. It's the context of James 5 verse 16. But listen to this as well. It still applies. Verse 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. When was the last time you did that? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. I, I will acknowledge this is in short supply in almost every church I know. And yet, you can imagine how powerful this is. It's worth paying attention to the words here, isn't it? 
Confess your sins to one another and do what? Hold each other accountable. Build an action plan so that you don't sin again. Oh, wait, wait, no, it doesn't say that. It just says pray for one another. That's what it says. It says find a place, find a people. It may only be two or three. I'm not advocating that we just, you just bump into people at coffee and say, sorry, what's your name again? Oh, oh Charles. Okay. Hey, Charles, by the way, and you just vomit all your stuff over people. And he's like, wow, jeepers, nice. To, what was your name again? Sorry. Let me, let me pray. That, I'm not saying, I'm saying find, find people. Find them. If you don't have them ready, find them. Where you can build trust to a level where you can confess your sins and they can pray for you that you may be healed. And that you can be that person to others. That's what it means to have a culture of gospel honesty. That you don't all just phone me up and say, well, you're the pastor. You're a safe person. I'm going to come and confess to you you're like a priest. You know, where you say something over me and whatever else and then off I go. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the culture of gospel honesty and confession in a church. Where to one another, we're able to confess our sins and to pray for one another. To pray and to speak grace and forgiveness over each other's lives to pray for gospel strength for each other, to not fall on our faces again. Pray for each other. John continues and he says, if we confess, he is faithful to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, the blood of the Son cleanses us. Isn't that amazing? That the blood of the Son cleanses. As you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive, and to cleanse. I think many people in church sort of believe this. This is my conviction. Christians sort of believe that verse. They believe it's okay. You became a believer. God dealt with that big stuff. You know, you had, accu- you had accumulated a whole bunch of stuff in your life. You became a believer, and God kind of wiped the slate clean and gave you a new start in Him, and you became a new creation in Christ, and off you went kind of thing. But then what happened is that you continued to sin. You continued to struggle. For some, you sinned more extravagantly post-conversion. Um, you're, you're more ashamed of things you've done after becoming a follower of Jesus than before. And now you're looking around thinking, I'm sure the grace has run out. You may not say that, But I can guarantee you, for at least some of you, you're thinking in your heart, I'm sure the grace has run out. I've promised God a million times that I wouldn't do this, or that I would start doing this, or that I would get my act together again. Here we are in January the 28th. How's it going? I, I, I mean, you don't have to answer it. I know how it's going. Because you have a fallen nature that continues and will continue to fall and to trip and to stumble towards eternity. So you're not going to find yourself in perfection this side of eternity. And so what we need in the gospel is a grace that doesn't run out. And that's what we have. We have a grace that doesn't run out, but we don't believe it fully. And so we concoct a whole bunch of other things to, to top up. You know, grace will get you a little bit there. And then you need some good behavior, some church attendance, some financial giving, serving in the kids ministry. That's what I'm going to do. God will forgive me. If I go and serve in the kids' ministry, you know, and I even I do the actions to the songs in the kids' ministry, that is next level stuff, you know, and then you're free to hide all your other stuff because God will overlook things because you've worked your way 
to a level of perfection. Guys, that's not, that's not the gospel. That's anti-gospel nonsense. But there is something in us so often that we run there, we think, will Jesus forgive me again? First question. Second question. He may forgive me, but he won't forget. Have you heard that before? I'll forgive, but I won't forget. You know, I want to let you know that I'm forgiving you, but I have a list here. And if you put one foot wrong, I'm just going to whip out the history and just remind you. And yeah, I'm just going to hold it over you kind of thing. By the way, if you're married, don't do that. Every, every couple does it in little variations. It's just a little reminder. You can talk about it over lunch. The lists that suddenly find their way out of the shadows when a conflict hits. Many Christians believe that, oh, Jesus may forgive me. Maybe there is enough grace. But he's just, he's not going to be too happy with me. He's a, if I imagine the look on his face, it's, it's, it's disappointment. It's disappointment. It's like, I'll forgive you, but I'm, I'm quite disappointed. I expected more. I mean, really? Are we here again, Doug? You, you promised me you wouldn't do this. I even gave you the power of my Holy Spirit to not live like this. And look what you've done. And many Christians live with that crushing, listen to me, the crushing weight of thinking that God is perpetually disappointed in you. That is not true. It's not the gospel. If you want to read a book that will help you, Dane Ortland um, wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly. Uh, it's, a, it's a book that's different to other books that you will read. It's stuff that you will not have heard in other places but it will do your soul so much good. It's an exploration in how good Jesus is to us. And I hate it when people read books at me and quote at length, but I'm going to depart from that this morning because I want to read to you a couple of quotes because he says it in a way that I can't say it. I want to I read a couple of quotes about what Jesus is like to you in the face of your sin. I don't know if these are on the screen. Did I get around to doing this? I did. He does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon, with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. It's what he came to heal. He went down into the horror of death and plunged out through the other side in order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. When you come to Christ for mercy and love and help in your anguish, and perplexity and sinfulness, you are going with the flow of his own deepest wishes, not against. You get that? You're going with the flow of Christ's deepest wishes, not against them. He's not reluctant to forgive you. He is more willing to forgive than you are to receive. Fallen, anxious sinners are limitless in their capacity to perceive reasons for Jesus to cast them out. We're factories of fresh resistances to Christ's love, even when we run out of tangible reasons to be cast out, such as specific sins or failures. We tend to retain a vague sense that, given enough time, Jesus will finally grow tired of us and hold us at arm's length. Jesus will eventually be like, enough is enough. Fool me once, fool me twice, you know, just stay over there. 
you can't get any closer. Run out of grace for you. We cannot present a reason for Christ to finally close off his heart to his own sheep. No such reason exists. Every human friend has a limit. If we offend enough, a relationship, a relationship gets damaged enough. If we betray enough times, we are cast out. The walls go up. But with Christ, our sins and weaknesses are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. Nothing but coming to him is required. First the conversion and then a thousand times thereafter until we are with him upon death. Isn't that beautiful? That you come, that, I love that line, our sins and weaknesses are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. That's why it makes no sense to keep parts of your life in the shadows. It's why it makes no sense to pretend that you're not actually who you are. It makes no sense to not desire to live a life where you're walking in the light. You are swimming against the very thing that took Jesus Christ to the cross and that he currently exists to do, and that is to extend mercy to you a thousand times over. He loves to do that. You're not overcoming his reluctance. You're laying hold of his highest willingness so that you can live free and happy and unburdened from shame, guilt, fear, and regret. And as we together bank everything on that doctrine and then live it out amongst ourselves, we then build this culture of gospel honesty, and it is life-giving to be in a community like that. So let me ask you, as we close, what, what of these truths do you need to believe afresh today? What do, you, what do you need to just sit again with and say, I had forgotten that, or I have never believed that fully. I never really grabbed hold of that truth. Remember, you need to start with a doctrine. What truth do you need to believe afresh today? What is God wanting to brand on your heart and your soul this morning? And lastly, what's hiding in the shadows? I have to ask you that question as we work through this passage. What is hiding in the shadows. You don't have to come and tell me, but you will be blessed and benefited by telling somebody else. You will. You will have fellowship with one another. You will not be lying to yourself, deceiving yourself. You will not be calling God a liar. You will be walking in the freedom of truth. There is nothing, there is nothing like living an authentic, honest life before God where you have nothing to hide before him and others. Nothing equates to that. There's no other religion in the world that touches that. And friends, as we make a move towards gospel culture, it takes time to get there, but I want to plead with you and implore you to lean into your relationships with each other, to confess your sin, to pray for one another, so that we together become a gospel-celebrating community. We don't have to pretend, we don't have to hide, we don't have to fake it till we make it. We are who we are, and we are deeply loved by God. And we, not, not like the deeper our sin goes, the more gospel grace is glorified and magnified, but it is a bit like that. It's like we're just gathered together every Sunday, and we are just absolutely astounded that this welcome remains in Jesus at the cross, regardless of who you are and what you've done. And that, and that you remember that Jesus' heart is drawn out to you more 
more in your weakness and sin and distress than in your strength and having your act altogether. You will know more of the compassion of Jesus, not less, the more you open up to him and to others. Let's pray together as we come before the Lord. Father, we thank you for um, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the the grace of the Spirit amongst us, um, speaking to us, teaching us, and we thank you for the reminder this morning that you are light, and in you there is no darkness. You are perfectly good and glorious in every way and in everything that you do and we rejoice in that and love you for that thank you for being just the perfect God the perfect Father Son and Spirit no weakness no shortcomings no shadows just goodness and glory I thank you for the reminder again this morning that we are fallen people in need of a saviour and so often we, we allow parts of our lives to just be kept in the shadows. We've got little rooms that we, we don't go, and we, don't, we definitely don't want anybody else to go there. But your word reminds us that you see us completely. Nothing is hidden from you. You see our lives completely. You see all of us and all of our thoughts. Everything is before you. And it draws out your love and your mercy and your compassion for us. And so I pray, Father, this morning for us that you would help us. You would help us to run towards the God whose compassion is towards us this morning. That you would give us grace and freedom to take steps towards the one who longs to forgive us and cleanse us and restore us. And that you would free us from playing games with you and others and hiding in shame and in secrecy and in secrets protect us from the lies of, 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 the, of Satan and his, and his demons who would want to convince us that you will turn us away if we really own up to who we are. And if we share it with others, they will cast us out. Help us to resist those lies and to rest in the truth that we do actually a fellowship with one another when we are real and honest or we develop a culture of gospel honesty. We run to you this morning, Father. And we pray for grace to fling open those doors of the rooms where no one's gone into for years and come out in, in honesty and confession so that we may live free, that we may breathe new life, that we may walk out of this place having the weight of shame and guilt and regret lifted from our shoulders because it's been borne by the only perfect one on the cross, you, Jesus Christ, who loves us this morning. Help us now. Move amongst us, work in our hearts this morning, we ask through the Holy Spirit for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name.